Hello, Marco Polo here with the Valhalla Movement Podcast, and today we've got one of my idols on the on the podcast, somebody who inspired, uh, believe it or not, the Valhalla Movement, um, Simon Sinek, who is the author of two books, Start With Why and um, Leaders Eat Last. I know there's more to the title, but or to both titles, really. But um, you might recognize him as one of the most popular TED Talks that you've probably ever watched, uh, where he talks about something, a concept that I really want to delve into today. And I know you've, uh, you've broadened your horizons and, you know, the second book that you've written now, Leaders Eat Last, kind of takes this concept further. But um, how about we go into what the golden circle is, uh, who you are, and, and, you know, what is this concept of, of the starting with why? Sure. Um, so what I learned was that every single organization on the planet, even our own careers, always functions on the same three levels. What we do, how we do it, and why we do it. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's a biological imperative. It's not my opinion. It's based on how the brain works. Um, we know what we do. Some of us know how we do it, but very few of us can explain why we do what we do. And what I learned is all those leaders and organizations with the capacity to inspire everything from Apple to Martin Luther King, every single one of them starts with why. Everything, mm -hmm. Every single one of them leads with their with what they believe, not with what they do. Mm -hmm. What they do simply proves what they believe. And so I took this magical little astounding pattern um, and shared it with people, and it's, it's had a profound effect on people who've learned to start with why. I mean, without a doubt. Obviously, I, I talk about Valhalla having started with that, that purpose. Um, some people don't know this about me, but I actually own a company called Why Simply Because. It's the marketing arm of what I do. Um, but starting with why really speaks to people on another level, right? I mean, you, you use Apple as an example in your TED Talk, but there's so many other examples of the Wright brothers or you, you sure. go into Martin Luther King or whatever it is. Um, but your new book also talks about some really interesting leaders that I want to bring forth. Um, to me, the, the one that speaks to me the most is, is Captain Marquette. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know what it is about that, that story, about how... I think what it is is that the story also outlines the fact that he came onto the ship as a well-qualified person. He, he's yeah. the, you know, the captain of this, this new submarine. And right. he transformed the submarine into something beautiful. And part of it is starting with why, but he did a little bit more than that. Right. Um, you want to go into the story a little bit? Of sure. So David Marquet um, was, um, he, he, he was assigned to be the, the, the captain of the Los Angeles-class nuclear-powered fast attack submarine, the USS Olympia. He, 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 like many others, believed that his um, credibility as a leader was based on how good he was and how smart he was. I mean, that's normal for a lot of us. Um, and so he spent a year studying the Olympia, its systems, and its crew. Mm -hmm. Two weeks before he was to take command, he was assigned to the USS Santa Fe. Mm -hmm. Slightly newer uh, submarine, but basically the same class of submarine. And uh, um, incidentally, it had the worst rated crew in the entire submarine fleet. They ranked last or close to last in nearly every readiness measurement the, the Navy had. Mm -hmm. And on the first day, Marquez started giving orders. And his belief was, okay, so what? They're a bad rated crew. If I give good orders, I'll have a good ship. If I give great orders, I'll have a great ship. You know, mm -hmm. that's, that's how we view things as leaders very often. Mm -hmm. And so he, he gets aboard the ship and starts barking orders. And everybody's doing what he says, and it's great. And they set sail just as, as he intended. <laughs> um, 
Uh, and about the second or third day out, they're submerged, and they decide to run a drill. So they turn off the nuclear reactor manually and pretend they've had a meltdown, and they run on battery power, or EPM as it's called. And Mark Hay gives a simple order. He says, ahead two-thirds, which means he wants to run the battery power two-thirds, it's, it's, um, it's full, it's full uh, capacity, run the engines a little faster, run the batteries down a little quicker, and add a sense of urgency and see how the crew reacts. His second-in-command, <laughs> the navigator sitting right next to him, um, who incidentally had more experience on this ship than any other, two and a half years, repeats the order, ahead two-thirds, and nothing happens. And so Marquet peers out from the side of his periscope, and he sees Seaman Jones, you know, fidgeting in his chair, squirming in his chair, and he says, Seaman Jones, what's the problem? And Seaman Jones replies, sir, there is no two-thirds setting. Apparently on this slightly newer submarine, there just was no two-thirds setting on the EPM. Mm -hmm. And so he turns to his navigator and he says, did you know this? And the guy goes, mm-hmm. He says, then why did you give the order? He says, because you told me to. Mm. That's when Marquet is hit by the very, the very uh, stark reality that he's aboard a ship he doesn't fully understand and he has a crew trained for compliance. Mm -hmm. And it's not like he can just return back to shore and change his crew out. This is his crew. And if something doesn't change, they're going to die. Mm -hmm. And so he's forced to change how he understands leadership, where he no longer can rely on his intelligence. He has to now rely on the intelligence of the people at the lowest levels. And this is one of his big conclusions, which is at the top of an organization, they have all the authority. and the bottom of an organization, they have all the information. Mm -hmm. And so you don't push the information up. You push the authority down. Mm -hmm. And so Marquet bans the words permission to aboard his ship, literally. It used to be permission to dive to 400 feet, permission grounded, I sir, diving to 400 feet. All of the accountability lies with the guy who gave the permission, the captain. Mm -hmm. And he replaces that with, I intend to. Sir, I intend to dive to 400 feet. All right. <laughs> the chain of command is not broken. The difference is, is psychological, where now the person performing the action owns the action. And what started to happen was accountability went up. People's interest in their work went up. Teamwork went up. All of these things started to happen relatively organically, and Marquet started to experiment with giving away authority. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> if you think about how our offices work, largely it's permission-based, right? Hey, <clears throat> just want to run this idea past you. Hey, what do you think of this? Hey, can you just double-check this before I send it to the client? <laughs> Basically, giving away authority. We're giving away the accountability to somebody more senior than us, right? Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. command and control. But it's inefficient. And it, it, not only is it inefficient, it's actually not, it's not good. Yeah, it, it, uh, and it, that's how I want to get into it, it a little it, bit. It, it hurts innovation, it hurts productivity, mm -hmm. it hurts morale, it does many, many, many things. It hurts sense of fulfillment when you come to work. Long story short, in a very short period of time, Marquet took this crew that was the worst rated crew in, in the Navy and turned it into the best rated crew in naval history. <laughs> Same crew. It's not the people, it's the environment. Mm -hmm. As social animals, we respond to the environments we're in, and Marquet changed the environment, and people work to their natural best. And that's largely what Leaders Eat Last is about, which mm -hmm. is about the environments in which we work. And when we change the environments, people are at their best. That's, that's what leadership is. It's about creating the right environment. So, so what is the right environment? I mean, I, I know you talk about it being on a biological level, right? You talk about the, 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 four, the four chemicals that are going on and, right. and cortisol and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, maybe elaborate on what you think is the right environment and how that kind of paradigms against the it, wrong environment. It's not what I think. Well, I know, I know it's not what you think, and that's it's, the whole point. I'm, I'm simply reporting on the, on, 
on the anthropology. Yeah, totally. Uh, you're totally right. I used the wrong so, word there. So yeah, this is not some highfalutin management theory. This is just basically the history of the human animal mm -hmm. and and the anthropology of how we are designed. I mean, that's all it is. And basically, um, what is required is what I call a circle of safety, mm -hmm. which is which is when we feel safe inside the organizations in which we work, you know, the modern day tribe, mm -hmm. when we feel safe amongst our own organically, re normally, the natural reaction is trust and cooperation. Mm -hmm. we trust the people with whom we work to face the dangers outside and seize the opportunities. Mm -hmm. When we do not feel like we're in a circle of safety, when we do not feel like we belong, when we do not feel like our leadership has our backs, the natural human reaction is cynicism, paranoia, mistrust, and self-interest. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and you know how can we expect how can we expect people to give us their best energies and their biggest ideas and face the dangers and seize the opportunities outside when we force them to expend time and energy to protect themselves from each other or from us from 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 leadership, right? Yeah, I mean that's what you're that's what happening in an organization where it's like, look, there's two people, there's a new promotion position, and all of a sudden they're they're battling each other. In, within the organization as opposed to working together to make the organization work better. You know, that's, I talk about this personally with, with the Valhalla movement, with the group of people, because we are a community of people yeah. here. But people have to understand what this is because we have a culture today, right? We're on Wall Street or on any business where it's all about money and we, we, we think that we're all motivated by greed. And we are. We are. We have greedy chemicals, right? But we're we're motivated by the greed of feeling safe, and that's what you point out. I think the way you well, put I it is. Call it about, I wouldn't call it the greed of feeling safe. Well, not the greed, but I, the, the I motivation. It, I would call it the satisfaction of feeling safe. Sure. And greed is about instant gratification. Sure. Greed is about turning on your computer and looking at your stock, your you know your 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 stock value or your the size of your mm -hmm. bank account. You know, greed is about counting, mm -hmm. right? But inspiration and innovation and Productivity. These these are all these are all based on um, how we feel when we come to work. Mm -hmm. You know, the, there's a report that the Economist did a few months ago about the decline of innovation in the world, and they offer all kinds of theories as to why it's happening. They offer economic theory and technology theory and all of these things, globalization, internet, and yet at no point does it talk about people. Well, who's coming up with the ideas? You know, <laughs> human beings. Yeah. And the reason human beings are not contributing their best ideas is very simple. It's because we don't create environments in which ideas can bubble up. Mm -hmm. We create ideas, we create environments in which ideas are suppressed. People have good ideas. There are lots of good ideas. There's no shortage of good ideas. But we either create an environment where we, we, we penalize people for trying and failing, mm -hmm. or we um, aren't open to ideas, or worse, we've just created an environment in which they're too busy doing so many other things that they literally don't think of things. Mm -hmm. um, you know, any organization that uses layoffs, for example, as a first line to uh, balance the books. Now, think about that for a second, right? You, you're going to ask somebody to go home and tell their spouse and kids, sorry, I've lost my job and have no income because the company had to balance their books for one year, right? This is what we're doing, right? Mm -hmm. so, all the time. For, for, and so, you know, layoffs, layoffs have become so easy and have become such a normal reaction to, to, to balance numbers that it's literally destroying the very fabric of, uh, of the environments in which we're, we work best. So forget about the people who lost their jobs. Forget about them. What about the people who didn't lose their jobs? How do you think they feel coming to work? Do you think they feel safe knowing that simply to, to balance a number that they could be next because they didn't make it this, they, wouldn't, they, didn't, they weren't laid off this time, but they might be on the chopping block next time. Mm -hmm. Forget about the people who left. The people who stayed are hardly 
are heartily inspired mm-hmm. and, and thrilled and motivated to give you their best. Of course. They're just not. Mm-hmm. And that is not because they're bad people. It's because the environment has fundamentally been destroyed by leadership. I wouldn't call it leadership. I would call that management. You can't, lead, you can't lead a company. You can only run a company. You have to lead people. Mm-hmm. And that's a very big misconception. I mean, it's, it's backwards thinking from my understanding of it. It's basically thinking from the golden circle that, that you kind of, you've coined. It seems like people are thinking from the outside in, right? They're not thinking about the why, the purpose, and who they are and why. Why are they in that position of leadership right. or management or whatever it is? And what, what is really motivating them to do this? And what is their company really about? What right. are they trying to do here? Right. Whereas what they're looking at is that, that greedy number. Oh, our stock prices are here. Or our sales are here. And we're motivated. We think that, this is, that that's what, like, oh, we're a good company because we make big sales. No, we're not, a, we're, not a, you know, we're not contributing to the world because of our sales. Nobody's going to remember how much we made in the third quarter of 2013. We're, what we're going to remember is what your legacy is. What is the legacy of the company? What is the, what is, what is the company really trying to achieve and why is it trying to achieve? Right, but we don't, need to, we don't need to sound like crazy idealists and we don't need to sound all ooey-gooey and this of course. doesn't need to sound like the 99% movement. That's, yeah. you know, you know, all of the things that you're saying are right and good and true. Right, mm-hmm. but put the altruism aside for a second. Yeah, it's good for business, which is capitalism works better mm-hmm. when we when we prioritize the safety of the people inside the organization. Mm-hmm. The, the organizations that outperform the competition on a regular basis, not a, not on a quarterly or annual basis, but for 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 decades. Mm-hmm. You know, the reason Costco frustrates the heck out of Sam's Club. On a regular basis, the reason Apple frustrates the the hell out of you know their competition, the reason Southwest frustrates mm-hmm. the heck out of their competition, the reason WestJet frustrates the heck out of Air Canada, right? <laughs> yeah. The reason these companies are are actually better companies on a on a on a on a numbers to numbers basis, from a loyalty of customer basis, mm-hmm. on an ability to 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 innovate basis, <clears throat> is because. They prioritize the, the human being over the number. In other words, the things that I'm talking about are, are not some crazy, you know, spoutings of, of some crazy idealist. This, this is how capitalism works best. Mm-hmm. So is that the right environment? Is the right environment all about prioritizing people over profits, thinking long-term always. versus short-term? Always. And, always. and always considering the group and the people within the group, of course. Always. Great leaders will always uh, sacrifice the numbers to save the people and would never sacrifice the people to save the numbers. Mm. And so I'm assuming you go, go around to corporate events or you talk to, to you, you must consult corporations on, on all these kind of things all the time, right? I mean, they must come to you looking for answers and in, in either in shambles or even in a position of strength, but saying, hey, how can we continue to make this last? And I'm assuming this is what you tell them. Uh, my message is consistent internally or externally. Yes, it is. So here's my question. I want to I go into bigger picture. Okay. Do you think this is going to change? We have a, today, we have problems in the sense that there are most organizations do not start with why. Most organizations are not protecting the people within their organizations right. and are thinking about the bottom line and the short-term profits. And we seem to be in a world where everything is kind of environmentally, okay, this is where I'm coming from it, and, and even socially and all these 99% movements and all these things are coming about because of right. this, this problem. Right. Yeah, now, of course I believe it's going to change, otherwise I wouldn't do it. I guess so. It would be a fruit. It would be a, a, a sort of a very frustrating and fruitless life to live, you know, 
But if, a, if, so if I thought I if, if I thought I, if I if I believed I was destined for absolute failure, <laughs> that no, no I, I I'm I believe in what I'm doing, and I believe. The, and the good news is, is there are many people joining this movement. Mm-hmm. You know, in all different industries and in all different walks of life. Do I believe I can do it alone? No, of course not. I have one piece of a jigsaw puzzle. Yeah. And the picture will start to form when many other people bring their pieces and place them on the table and they fit together. Um, you know, individuals like yourself, large organizations like Barry Waymiller and NextJump or, or WestJet or all of these companies who serve as the example, mm-hmm. you know, they are all bringing their pieces to the table and say, we believe. Mm-hmm. And the more of us who put our pieces on the table, the, the picture will emerge of a world that is very different to ours today. I don't really have an issue with organizations that prioritize numbers over people. The issue I have is the, is the balance of organizations that we have today that prioritize numbers over people. It's way too many. Yeah. A few of them is fine. It really, it does, it's not that upsetting to an economy. And for some people, those are good short-term uh, investments. You know, they, they have their place. It's, it's the extreme imbalance. Mm-hmm. You know, not all, it's, it's kind of like alcoholism, you know. Drinking is not bad. Mm-hmm. Drinking too much is bad. Yeah. You know, gambling is not dangerous. Gambling too much is dangerous. Mm-hmm. I'm, talking about, I'm talking about the addiction to power, the addiction to money, the addiction to short-term gains, the addiction... Uh, to the short-term thrill, like gambling, alcoholism, and 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 the rest of the vices that consume the lives of human beings. So you so, talk about this in your so book. So I'm talking about I'm talking about balance. Our, yeah. Ours is a world out of balance. Mm-hmm. So, but you actually talk about this in your book, and your book actually goes through almost like the the twelve steps of being a good leader, right? Almost like the, the Alcoholics Anonymous twelve steps. So. You're talking about this addiction. What is what is fighting that addiction? How do you, how do you turning people around into being conscious of what they're doing when they're when they're feeding into that addiction, right? So, example, you go into an organization, they have backwards thinking. They're not starting with why. They're not they're not thinking about the people. They're thinking about these these short term addicted things. How do you turn that ship around? Well, number one, I mean, we know the first step of the twelve step program, right? It's admitting okay. of a problem. Mm-hmm. Right, that's number one. Um, <laughs> that's, I'm sure that's a big step. So yeah, the organization has to admit that that there's an issue to begin with, mm-hmm. and if they think everything's fine, then nothing, then they can't be held. Mm-hmm. Um, but if if that if that's where they begin, they're like, you know what, we may have been successful with this, but this this won't last. This can't last. If they can come to that conclusion, um, there are a series of steps they can take. Um, like having a sense of purpose, having a sense of why, that's one of them, mm-hmm. you know, but the, it's the 12th step that matters most. And if you use Alcoholics Anonymous as the, as the foil, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous has had great success for, you know, 75, 80 years or something, helping people beat, beat an addiction. Mm-hmm. And it's the 12th step that matters. They know that if you master all 11 steps, but not the 12th, you probably start drinking again. But if you master the 12th step, you'll beat the disease. The twelfth step is to help another alcoholic. It's service, mm-hmm. and so when we can commit ourselves to help those who are suffering the same things as us, the amazing thing is it is the most fulfilling and powerful thing that we can ever do. Human beings are made to look after each other. It is in our DNA. It is in our biology. It is in our anthropology. We are designed to look after each other. By ourselves, we are junk. We are gonna. If you if you're forced to look after yourself by yourself in the wilderness, in the city, in business, if all you have is your is your own wits, you will die. Mm-hmm. Um, when you accept the help of others, when others are willing to give a recommendation, put your resume forwards, offer you some advice, take you under their wing, however you want to articulate it, you know, 
put their reputation on the line to recommend you, you know, stay late to help you with something you're struggling with, work with you, whatever it is, when we work together, we are remarkable. Mm -hmm. And the question is, is why would anybody want to work with you? And the only reason somebody would want to work with you short of a selfish transaction because they want something from you mm -hmm. is because they trust you and they believe that you would be there for them in their time of need. And it is that trust that they put themselves out and say, I will help you with no expectation of anything in return. Mm -hmm. So what you say is exactly what I, what I kind of realized on my own with Valhalla as well. What I, you know, Valhalla has basically four core tenets, sustainable ideas, knowledge, community, and action. Mm -hmm. Okay. We all want to take action. Everyone wants to stop drinking or everyone wants to make profits or everyone wants to change the world or, or accomplish their why. Mm -hmm. We all want to self-sustain. We want to preserve. We want to have that circle of safety. We all have, we all want knowledge and, we, and that's our way of getting there. We get the knowledge in, in hiring the right people or in reading the right books or, or, or doing the right things or getting the right technologies in our hands. But the one thing that seems to be missing for me at all times and the, the toughest thing, and, and this to me is the, the 12th step, is the community. Mm -hmm. People, we've disconnected from the community around us. You know, how many people know our neighbors? You know, I live in, in an area where I don't know anybody who lives around me. Mm -hmm. And we walk by each other and, and, it's, and it's awkward. And we have these moments where even in, in organizations or people who we work with, we don't really get to know them. We don't mm -hmm. get to understand their purpose to who they are and what they're trying to do. And the community is, and a community mindset in thinking, instead of thinking about me, we're thinking about we, mm -hmm. we, we thrive. Mm -hmm. And that's what I've noticed with, with Valhalla, and that's what I've noticed around me, and, and I see that other organizations like a Google or like an Apple or whatever, these organizations are really thriving because they, they really start thinking about not only me, me within the we, but the we as a whole. What is our purpose? What is our collective uh, call to action? How do we put all these things together? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, I would love to, to hear about what you think about the community, because I, you know, I'm I'm less involved in, in the business world of the, of these things, but I know you're going into these organizations. Do you see the community changing? I, I know I know you've already spoken to this. I know you you said yes. That my goal is that I, I want to see this happen. But what do you think about community as a whole, and then how business can also manage, um, you know, the the world, the, 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 being socially responsible, being you know, caring about not only its own organization, but what's happening around it? Well, of course it's changing. I mean, we, we, the fact that there's a demand for these things. You know, if I, if, you know, the fact that, I, that people are willing to buy my book or watch my TED Talk, you know, if I had this message in the 1980s or 1990s, I'd have, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you. There would be, there would be no interest. There'd be no demand. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, the, the rules of economics still apply. You know, um, the fact that there's a, uh, a demand for these things produces a supply for these things. Um, so yeah, I mean, the, the fact that I exist and the fact that there are others like me that exist that are preaching the same cause, I think is, is, a, is a degree of proof that, that, there's, that there's a need for it. So what, if, if I ask you another question, what, what's, what do you think the best way to create that circle of safety is? What do you think the best way of creating that, that group mentality, that community is? Each of us has the opportunity to be the leader we wish we had. And for us to fold our arms and say, well, I'm, I'm waiting for leadership to react is, is the worst thing we can do. That's apathy. Mm -hmm. right? And that's victimization. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be at the head of the organization to be a leader. I know plenty of people at the heads of organizations that are not leaders. Mm -hmm. 
they're authorities, but they're not leaders. You know, and I know plenty of people at the bottom of organization that are leaders because they choose to look after the person to the left of them and the person to the right of them. And we have the responsibility to be leaders, to come to work every day and worry about the people to the left of us and the people to the right of us and ensure that they're happy and they're safe. Mm-hmm. And that may come at an expense. You might get your head chopped off. You might get in trouble from mm-hmm. doing these things. That's what makes you the leader. You lead. You went first. So if you desire to see the world change, then the responsibility we have is to stand up and, and be the leader we wish we had. Absolutely. I mean, couldn't have said it better myself. What about our responsibility to be a follower? Is I there mean, a responsibility to be a follower at times? Of course. Of course. I mean, the best leaders are the best followers because it's not about them, right? They're following a cause bigger than themselves. Mm-hmm. So the, the, it's actually the words are interchangeable. You know, great leaders actually are great followers because they follow a cause greater than themselves. And great followers become leaders because they take it upon themselves to, to, to translate the, the cause in, into some sort of purpose for themselves. So the terms are, um, are simply uh, perspective. They are actually the same thing. The best that. leaders are the best followers, and the best followers are the best leaders. I love that. I couldn't have said it better myself. I, um, I'm going to plug your book, or if you want to plug your book and, and anything you guys are, you, you, you and the people who are working with you, uh, who I know also believe in your, in your, your collective why, uh, what are you guys doing? Where, uh, where can they find your book? Where, where can they learn more about this? Uh, the book is available at fine bookstores everywhere and some not-so-fine ones, I guess, <laughs> um, uh, in all the usual places that you like to buy books. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm active on Twitter, at Simon Sinek, um, you know, Facebook. Our website is startwithwhy.com. It's mm-hmm. for people who want to learn their why. We have a, a fantastic why university. And we just came out with a new version of it called uh, the facilitator, Facilitator's Edition. For people, who are in the, for people who are in the business of helping other people find their why, mm-hmm. you know, coaches and consultants and brand consultants and things like that, we have a tool to help them help their clients. That's so i um, very proud of that. Yeah, I think that's a great that's a great step because it's, there's only so much you can do going around every single organization, right. but if you create a whole bunch of people who, who understand what you're doing and, and how you're doing it, um, then people, it will spread like a, you know, it's a movement. That's the goal. That's the goal. I, I mean, I think you're doing a fantastic job at it. I appreciate your time. I appreciate, um, I mean, just keep at it. I, you know, hey, we love what you're doing. I hear about your name all the time. I seriously thanks for helping me spread the idea. I'm I'm fully aware that that uh, I wouldn't have the opportunity to spread these ideas without without the generosity of people like you. So thank you very much. I appreciate it.